What's it like to go bankrupt? What's it like to have an arranged marriage? What's it like to be blind from birth? What's it like to be on death row? What's it like to be a dominatrix? What's it like to be polyamorous? What's it like? What's it like? What's it like? Today, it's what's it like to be transgender? And joining us is an incredible person. Xavier is an 18-year-old trans person, an LGBTQIA plus activist. Thank you so much for your time and um, for being able to, to front up and talk to us open and honestly in such a segment that is basically the questions we've always just wanted to ask somebody who's trans welcome xavier thank you thanks for having me um oh you our pleasure i, I want to kick it off by telling you sort of what happened before you came in this morning because i think it's a it's a good way to kick off the conversation because we spent so much time kind of asking each other questions about uh, how, how do we refer to Xavier, like pronouns and all this sort of stuff. And and in that sort of maelstrom of not wanting to say the wrong thing, you forget that it's just another human being that's walking in the room. Mm. And that at the end of the day, that's all our connection needs to be. But do you, I guess my question is, is, is part of our challenge at the moment is, is stripping away all of the fear attached to not saying the wrong thing? Because I think majority of people want to be welcoming and inclusive. Would you agree? Yeah, I think there's definitely like, people seem to be really worried at the moment about like offending yes. people, which is fair enough. Like you don't want to hurt people's feelings. Um, but I think I think it's kind of a lot of the fear is unnecessary. Like um, you don't have to know just when you meet someone how to refer to them. Yeah. Like I think just asking someone, how they like to be referred to is like they'll appreciate it um, because not everyone asks and then it stops you from having to worry about saying the right thing as well. Okay, well, can I ask that question? How do yeah. you like to be referred to? Yeah, so um, I'm trans. I'm also non-binary. Uh-huh. So um, I'm not male or female. Yes. Um, so I use gender-neutral pronouns. Uh-huh. Um, so is that the they's? And yes, the, yes. yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, see, yeah, it's all new for me, so yeah. it's good, yeah. Do you find too, like I'm finding with my friends, they're talking about their little kids. They've got kids that they find it so easy to educate their children. Their children understand pronouns and all of this from mm. the get-go because it's their normal world for them. They, that's how they're growing up. That's how they're raised. It seems to be like people just have this, I don't know, this innate feeling where we feel like we have to identify everything we see, that it's like a semiotic, like once we've seen something. So it's like trying to work out whether we can identify someone's gender based on how they dress or how they look. Obviously, that's not a good place for us to start because that's going to make the confusion even worse, right? Yeah. I think we're like, it's like one of those things that we're like socially ingrained to do. Like when you see someone like walking down the street, it's not even something that you think about, but you just, in your brain, think if they're a woman or yeah. a man. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's really hard to unlearn and like is fair enough that people are struggling to unlearn it. But I think you're quite right that kids especially seem to understand it. Like my sister, she's 12, but when I came out, I guess she was about nine. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like by far the quickest to get yes. it. She's yes. like, no questions. She was like, yeah, cool. I'll Makes call you sense. whatever. Yeah. Yep. And it was like, yeah. And I work with kids as well. And I never get any like mean comments from them. They're just curious. And when I answer the questions, they're like, great, let's go back to the work now. Yeah. So it's yeah. like definitely young, younger kids seem to have more of a, 
I don't know, a flexibility in their thinking because they're yes. not super ingrained in all the social norms yet. I yeah. think around the gender. unlearning is the is the bit that is yeah. so hard to do. And you you like to think that it's going to be easy and that you're across it, but it's easy to make a mistake just in the using the wrong grammar. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, even myself, like I had to do unlearning yeah. as well because <laughs> yeah. it's not like I'm immune to all of that. Like. Um, it took me a while to realize I was non-binary because I was so fixed in binary thinking. So mm. it, that was kind of the cause of a lot of my questioning because I was like, I'm definitely not a girl, but I don't know what else I can be. Yeah. So yes. I thought I was yep. a guy for a while and identified as a trans guy. But um, I kind of when I was able to realize for myself that, you know, actually, I, I don't have to do that whole thing mm-hmm. um, I'm a lot happier now and able to express myself more authentically. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like a learning journey for everyone, even trans people. Yeah. So freeing, right? I mean, you know, quite often I think we make the mistake of when we hear trans, we traditionally think of trans as uh, a she, her going to a he, him or back the other way. Yeah. But for you, it's a freedom in thinking that I don't really feel necessarily that I'm either. So this is my opportunity to be somewhere where I feel absolutely comfortable, which is right there in the middle. But the... The um, I heard you use the phrase when you came out. Mm. And so for, for me, I've grown up in that binary thinking of coming out is uh, thinking that is, you know, announcing that you're gay, right? So, but for you as a them, they, what, what does coming out mean? Does that just mean that you've transitioned to a place that you're very comfortable? You know who you are now. Mm, um, I suppose like for me, because part of me being trans is that I... I medically transitioned, so um, I was on hormone blockers for a little bit, and then I've been on testosterone for two years. Um, that there actually, I guess, there was a more concrete coming out, and like physically, what that looked like was like I'm trans, and these are the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for somebody who isn't medically transitioning, it's a bit less of a coming out, as you'd say. Mm. Um, but for me, I definitely did come out like. Like I would like, I like went to my parents and I told them and then we had conversations around it for a while, um, came out to my family, like my greater family, um, in school and stuff. So it, it is more than just like announcing it. It's like the coming out for me was like kind of getting all the things happening, um, in my life that I needed to, like getting name changed at school and legal mm-hmm. name change and going through Medicare and all these things yeah, right. that I had to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, if, if, cause you've brought it up, uh, you know, we'd be interested to know, you know, what your journey has been like, where did it start? You're clearly a young person. Uh, so it started quite young. You knew or you felt that you weren't identifying how other people were identifying you. Yeah. So, um, I guess I didn't have the like stereotypical I knew since I was a child that mm. I was born in the wrong body kind of yep. thing that kind of is the only narrative that we hear mm. around trans people. Um, for me, I had a very genderless childhood. Like I grew up with um, a brother who was really similar to me in age. Um, and I did a lot of masculine things as a kid. Like um, I was like into my like competitive judo and yeah. I wore my brother's clothes for a few years and there were no questions around that. I just existed as a kid. And Well, I think at the time yeah. too, everyone would say we were tomboys. Oh, yeah. Like growing definitely. up, everyone said I was a tomboy because I played with, with trucks and cars and stuff like that and I didn't have dolls and any yeah. of that stuff. There isn't such a strong gender binary before puberty. I think. Yeah. Um, you can kind of just be a kid and especially if you have accepting parents who let you do that and mm. they don't try and like 
fit you into their idea of what your kid's supposed to be. Uh Um, There was definitely a lot of freedom for me. But then when I went to high school, um, definitely the the social gender binary became more obvious with Mm -hmm. like like gendered school uniforms. Mm -hmm. Um, And at my school, we even had like, like the girls had to wear white socks and the boys had to wear black socks. It was very specific. And I was like... I don't like this. <laughs> yes. This is not comfortable. Yeah. Um, and like school PE and change rooms and yes. stuff, gender suddenly be becomes yeah. a massive part yeah. of your everyday life. And it completely changes who you be friends with and um, how teachers refer to you. Um, like it was just a sudden like slap in the face because I hadn't had any of that growing up as a kid. Um, so I, I knew that I, everything felt kind of off for me. Um, and I kind of, I started to learn, I guess, through peers and through, um, like social media and stuff, like what queer stuff was, yeah. cause I didn't really know what it was as a kid. And I mean, that's changed a lot since even I was a kid, like mm-hmm. younger kids now in like primary school and stuff, I like identifying as lesbian and gay, like my, 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 my sister's peers are. And I'm like, that's awesome. Cause I didn't really even know what gay meant yeah. when I was her age. Um, but I kind of got to learn more about that stuff at high school and it kind of it resonated a lot with me and then it was just kind of a a journey of self-reflection and kind of coming into myself i guess because uh, this this is really interesting point for me as as a parent of of, of a younger uh, girl mm. uh but you know there has been because this has become in the news a lot yeah. more and people are more aware and that's that's all a good thing you do hear from other parents uh, a fear of that kids are jumping on board these things because they're considered to be cool. And you made the point yourself about letting kids be kids mm. until they don't need to be. Is is that is that a, a something that people should be concerned with? Because I agree with you. Let kids be kids and, and, and let, you know, you don't need to put a label on them. They'll mm. discover that themselves. But I've, I've heard, you know, various people concerned that children are jumping on board things because they're cool or popular or it's the new in thing. Is that a, a fear that one should not have? Uh, I mean, I've been asked that question a lot of times. Through Damn, the, I the, thought it was original. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, the work that I do, because it is like probably the biggest fear at the moment is kids and um, what's going to happen with kids. And there is this idea that people seem to have that like children are going on to like gender affirming treatments and like having surgeries that are irreversible and things but all of those fears are i think unfounded because um in reality there aren't any kids who are going on to (laughs) medical treatments you have to be 18 to get surgery um and i think for a lot of younger kids like what they need to feel affirmed in their identity is just for people to refer to them how they want to be referred and I don't think there's any harm in that. Like, say even if it was a fad. Yeah, so it, be it. It's it, like, I want to be a fireman for six yeah, months. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, like, yeah. Kids would be like, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to draw this as a bad comparison, but it's just like, like kids will like want to be like, like an animal mm-hmm. or like, yeah, like they'll, they'll, they'll role play mm. different things and that's fine. And then they go back. Mm. So, well, you said in your own yeah. journey, you were like, I didn't know. Does it, if I, if I don't feel this, does it mean that I'm gay? Does it mean that I'm, and then you're trying to find your space in between. So it's possibly ever changing. Yeah. Like it, finding out who you are is like the, the biggest thing with big, being a teenager <laughs> and yeah. coming into adulthood. Uh, it's not just gender, it's everything. Mm. Um, so I think what makes that easier is adults not layering 
judgment onto kids yeah. for just wanting to do that. Oh, for our generation, it was just um, you listen to rock music and that means you're going to do <laughs> yeah. terrible things to people in society. So yes. I suppose, mm, you absolutely. know, it's always been something. But yeah. um, do you find now, uh, I don't know if you do date now, but in the dating world, is that something that can become quite challenging because you need to sort of discuss that up front because there can be so many variations now on what people see both their gender and their sexuality. Mm. So I guess for me, um, like with my personal experiences with dating, um, I've only ever gone out with people who are also trans, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of maybe the fact that I am mostly in circles that are people who are also gender diverse. Um, But also it does just kind of avoid having to do a lot of like explaining and teaching (laughs) to someone when you're just trying to have like a relationship. Like, like, I mean, I like teaching people. That's why I'm here today. And it's why I do the work that I do with trans folk, um, because I actually like being able to do that. Um, But in a relationship, there's not really the place where I want to (laughs) be being like, okay, ABCs of (laughs) of transgender. Um, So, yeah, I only have been with other trans people and I find a lot of like comfort and solidarity in that as yes. well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um how did your parents take it? Oh, um when you first, you know, emerged going this is who I am. Well, that's a good question. I guess overall they've been really accepting of my whole journey. Um they were kind of as you were saying like they were a little bit worried about this idea of oh is it just a trend, yes. you know? Is it something that because um, I had like a few friends who were trans. Um, maybe, maybe it was part of that. Um, but as they realised, you know, over over the months that um, as I like shifted between friends, this was still a very strong part of who I was, and I was still talking about it. They were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll get on board." Um, but it's always been an open conversation around that stuff. Um, my mum actually came out as trans. A few years after I did. Wow. Yeah. And she said that um, if I hadn't come out, that she didn't think that she she would have ever had the confidence to do that. So Mm. that was... Gee I guess perhaps also questioning her own space and going, oh, now that we're having this conversation, I've realised some other things. Yeah. Did did your mother... So how did your mother explain to you that that was all happening or rather... Did she talk to you about how she'd she'd often had feelings that something wasn't quite right with her at this at like you know earlier on, and this is the person that she is meant to be now? Mm. Yeah, I guess like for her, like she's she said to me, uh, I don't think she'd mind me mentioning this that like ever since she was like at like a very small kid, she felt like she felt like this. Um, she just never had the the confidence or the space to actually explore that or the words mm-hmm. to put to her experiences of oh this is actually I'm I'm a woman I'm trans um, so I think it's really cool that um, we've both been able to kind of share in our transition <laughs> yeah. together and we've both definitely been able to lean on each other with like the you know the less than accepting world that sometimes we have to both navigate as trans people. Xavier. Mm. So, yeah. um, Sport seems to be one of the the real touchstone uh, topics. And I think, you know, a lot of people who who have genuine goodwill and kind of want a world where everyone can be happy doing what they want to do get fired up 
when trans people, for example, someone who's transitioned from male to female then wants to play AFLW and they go, well, you can't do that because clearly you were once a man, you've got a male body, male strength, it's not fair to then play in AFL sport, uh, AFLW. Mm. Your comments? Yes, um, I do have lots of thoughts about this topic. Mm. Um, <laughs> and when I first heard about it, I kind of, I got the argument that everyone else was saying. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, if somebody has a biological advantage, then that's not fair, yes. you know? And, of course, we all like equality and fairness, and especially in something like sports, you would be worried if somebody had an unfair advantage. That's why we have lots of regulations on, like, drug use and stuff yes. around sports mm. because of, like, steroids and stuff. Um, but I think... I think a lot of the misconceptions come from the fact that as a society, we don't really understand biological sex and how biological sex changes when you transition. Mm -hmm. um, so biological sex is a lot more complicated than just you have XX or XY chromosomes. The way that generally scientifically we can understand biological sex is it's kind of like there's like four parts. There's um, internal sex characteristics, external sex characteristics, hormones and chromosomes. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that's going to cause the, the strength is hormones mm -hmm. um and when um a trans woman medically transitions um she goes on to you know um testosterone suppressants and um estrogen hormone therapy um and ends up with the hormone levels of a cis woman yes um you lose all of that strength that kind of like um sudden strength you have with testosterone where you can like very quickly pick something up yes you lose that. Um, and I've, I mean, I've seen that with my mum. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so I can be like, yeah, she definitely used to have a lot more strength. And now I'm the one who carries things because I'm the one with the testosterone. So that's um, quantifiable and, and yeah. absolutely beyond yeah. doubt. And, yes. and the same with people. So obviously the, the most popular case that everyone knows of, Hannah Mouncey, trying to, to play that's and, and, and I mean, it predominantly came about too because they were going, well, Hannah already has a large physique. And was already considered to have the have a physique of a man, mm. and so then even if that weakness has then come through, or you know the the testosterone is gone, is she still really large compared to some of the other girls in the game? Mm. And so it was. It's a very challenging conversation to have with people to to understand what you're saying and to go, yeah, it does change the way they play. Yeah, and I think it's really it's it becomes really complex when we try and think about, oh, who are we going to let and not let yes. participate in sports because a lot of cisgender, as in women who were assigned female at birth, mm -hmm. um, have masculine traits. Yes. Like mm -hmm. there are women who have high testosterone levels, like women who have PCOS, um, yep. and they will have a you know, quote unquote, biological advantage yes. over women who don't. And mm -hmm. there are women um, who like from different countries and different ethnicities will be taller or have different like muscle um, composition. So like, are you not going to let them participate because they have a biological advantage? It's... It's complicated. Talking about biological sex is very complicated. And also I, I remember at the time like Hannah Mouncey's teammates and other people playing didn't mind that Hannah mm, was playing. They mm. were not the ones that had the issue. They were like, well, okay, we do other see people. it as somewhat as a challenge like yeah. Yeah. to see whether I'm a good enough player. Yeah, absolutely. So you've, you've, you've been through the transitioning mm. um, period. Like when it came to doing that, how difficult was it engaging medical professionals to get the process started? Oh, um, well, I guess for me, once I was in the Gender Diversity Service, um, which is at Perth Children's Hospital, when I accessed it, it was first at Princess Margaret's, but um, they're all great. Like they're, the, the service exists to provide gender affirming care and counselling, etc., to 
um, gender diverse young people, um, and and they're great. Um, they really understand what they're talking about. Um, they've got like lots of like scientific understandings around it, and everyone that I talked to there were great and very affirming, but also very very good at speaking through like informed consent and what the like things that I wanted, what they would look like. I went through lots of questioning, like several, like like hours long evaluations. Like it was a very complex procedure, mm. but I was very supported throughout the whole thing. So I found accessing medical treatment very um, positive. Yeah. Um, my dear friends over in Melbourne are the parents of Georgina Stone, who you know, was Victorian of the Year, a, mm. a, a trans. See, I don't even know. I, I when I met her. You know, a young boy and, and now transitioned mm. into a, a lovely young woman. And I know what they went through as a family through the courts yeah. uh, to get uh, the uh, hormone suppressant medication just to the fight before Georgie went into puberty. And the vitriol that they and the attacks that they got from certain groups. Uh, in trying to to help their their child live the life that they wanted to live, and I, I, I hope that the the ground that they broke, which was very tough, has changed things. It, it has it. Yeah, I mean, like in I say, like my understanding is mostly around WA and Perth. Sure. Um, we used to have to go through the family courts, but we don't anymore. Okay. <laughs> and that's awesome. Um, and I think as like socially and politically we understand more about the both the need for trans medical care and also the effectiveness of it um that it'll just become better better mm. for people accessing it and it mm. needs yeah. to be under constant review anyway because even now like if you're a cis woman and you want to get a hysterectomy good luck like you have to fight yes fight 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 doctors and go and see multiple multiple people to get a hysterectomy because mm. they'll go oh but you might change your mind and you want right. kids yeah, it's yeah. or horrendous. what happens if you but men vasectomy you can get it in your lunch break yeah. but the things that and women have to go through yeah <laughs> All right. it, All right. it, so anything <laughs> medical <laughs> like that seems to be like we have to break some ground in order to you know because yes. it, it's assumed that we're not making informed consent choices for ourselves. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just curious about this, um, just as a, as a question. Is the process reversible? Oh, um, when it comes to hormone blockers, yes, fully reversible. Um, so it's easier to get into them, I suppose, than um, hormones. Um, for, for people who are transitioning onto like estrogen, it's more reversible because we know that testosterone is a stronger hormone. Um, so it's pretty much entirely reversible. Um, in terms of testosterone um, onto someone who's assigned female at birth, um, the only things that don't really go back are uh, voice, the breaks, mm -hmm. um, and body hair. Mm. That's kind of it. Everything yep. else, very reversible. All right, I'm going I'm to ask a question now because when... When people have surgeries to change the outer sexual mm -hmm. uh, organs, yes, uh, what happens? Do they work? I mean, you know, uh, like <laughs> I don't know any other way to ask the question, but I, you know, yeah, do, what happens? That's a, <laughs> it's an interesting question. I mean, um, is that okay to ask that? I for think, one, I, I mean, think, I'm just uh, on a on a on a scientific level. I'm interested. I think, I think um, it just reflects a curiosity that people have because. Um, we're obsessed with sex, basically. 
as a society, yeah. yeah and we're yeah, also yeah. it's it's very taboo to talk about bodies and especially like like trans bodies. It's like, oh, <laughs> can't mm. talk about that. But um, I don't mind talking about it. Um, if if they work, I know that for trans women, yeah, yeah, things definitely work. Uh-huh. Um, trans men, uh, bottom surgery, if you can infer what that means. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, it, it depends on the surgery. There's less um, kind of understandings around it. Some of the surgeries aren't quite so good, but generally, yeah, I've heard some pretty good okay. stories around them. So, yeah, surgery is pretty good now <laughs> is there is there a country that that people go to because they're known for 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 better surgeons in that and and you know in that regard yeah, actually um um the one that i know of is thailand right um i know they're really good for for surgeries but yeah people definitely do like travel interstate and globally yep. for the purpose of getting surgery because mm. different places um have different specialists sure yeah. xavier where where do you hope for this conversation to be yeah, five years, ten years, twenty mm. years. Um, oh, I guess what I want is equity. That's kind of maybe the important thing for me. What do you, What do you mean by equity? Yeah. So um, we know equality is like everyone being treated the same, but for me, um, trans people don't need to be treated exactly the same because we ne- actually need <laughs> more um, from like mental health services and like accessing treatments and stuff like so i just i want the world to be a place where a trans person can get the care that they need um and i say this because of i mean i work in mental health and like the mental health statistics around my community are really Mm, quite staggering mm, mm. um the trans pathway study which was done by telethon kids institute in i think 2017 um they did like like a national survey of um, trans young people across Australia, um, and the mental health statistics were just they're pretty abhorrent. Like um, half of trans people have attempted suicide, mm. um, and that is like a massive number. That's like that's like half of my friends and my family. Yeah. Um, so the the fact that very little has changed since twenty seventeen is upsetting, um, and there is just a massive need for services so like mental health services that actually are able to talk to trans people in a way that um isn't just like asking them weird questions about their gender or thinking that the reason that they have mental health issues is because they're trans and not because they live in a transphobic world yeah um accessing medical treatment um definitely needs to be more accessible and wait lists are pretty horrendous like the gender diversity service has like a four and a half year wait list wow. for getting onto hormones, um, which is not at all their problem. It's just a funding issue. Yeah, and if, yeah. if anyone would say that it's a funding issue because they're underfunded, understaffed. I mean, you talk about too how yeah. you were saying, you know, about the idea of going, if this was a fad, if people thought that this was something that you wanted to just sign up to, it's like when my friends and I were 14, yeah. we all went vegetarian. I'm the only one who stayed vego. But it was <laughs> okay to just chop and yes. change. It's like you're not. Yeah. no one would choose exactly this hard pathway yeah. it, it's a hard life trying to get the world to see things differently definitely I, mm. I think it's really interesting that you say that not much has moved on since 2017 because from the outside from a middle-aged white male you know i go oh bloody hell things have changed heaps for for trans people it must be much better now than it used to be uh but that's i guess because it's in my face more than it used to be and so i assume that that's just meant that all doors have opened up for you and that everyone's happy and it's hugs and sunshine yeah i guess it's like 
things as in like social acceptance has mm. definitely shifted um and narratives and the media and stuff have shifted a bit although um as we know with like the trans people in sports debate there's still quite a lot of negative sure. media um but it's all right. They're still struggling, yeah. struggling even to deal with women's sport. Oh, like, God, yeah. like, like we've they, got a long way they, to go. They say they care about women's sport, but <laughs> yeah. do they actually? <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. no, I, I, I get that. Yeah. Um, but I guess in terms of like those mental health statistics, they're still very much the same. Yeah, right. Yeah. Resor- well. Resources to meet the demand. Um, mm. Xavier, you are an incredible human being. Yeah. Uh, like <laughs> I, I was living a paltry life at the age of 18 compared to what it is that you... <laughs> You are doing and the work that you are mm. doing and um, words can't describe just how much it means to us for you to put your hand up and come in here today to join us for a what's it like to be trans, which is such a, an incredible topic of conversation and one that we really value having you in for. So thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for being willing to have a conversation. Thank, thank you. you.